Let me say that again. Part of maturity and developing self-esteem in our life is using our consciousness to develop an honest relationship with reality. My honest relationship with reality is, is that I am not a victim of my life. Now, this happened to me. But as my sponsor, Tom, said, Alan, no, it happened for you. You've got to make it a happen for you, not a to you. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. La cucaracha, la cucaracha. Na 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 na. La cucaracha, la cucaracha. Na 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 na. So the reason I was kind of stalling a little bit there is because my my friend uh, Curry actually corrected me the last time I sang that little ditty on the pod, I don't know, a month ago or so, something like that. Apparently what I did uh, then is I sang La Cucaracha, but it's supposed to be La Cucaracha. If you're listening to this podcast for <laughs> the first time ever, <laughs> or even if you've been here a few times, uh, my apologies. Uh, but I wanted to get the song straight. I wanted to sing La Cook Aracha, not La Cooch Aracha. Oh, gosh, I got to be careful with where my mind went there. It's not saying it's not La Cooch Aracha. Um, we'll just leave it be. Welcome. To episode number 307 from Studio AA Deep in the Heart of Texas. That was my friend, Mr. Alan B., that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 307. And you are going to hear so much more from Alan B. in un momento, but first things first, this here episode is brought to you by Kelsey. And Medley, excuse not Medley, Melody, excuse me, <laughs> uh, Christopher, Ken, and Dave. What you may ask, did Kelsey and Melody and Christopher and Ken and Dave do? Well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. So thank you so much again, Kelsey and Melody and Christopher and Ken and Dave. This 
here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. So I have had a very, very busy last couple of weeks. And, and I know we all have busy weeks and such, but this has been the busiest uh, last couple of weeks that I've had in a, a really long time. Just a lot of stuff going on. In fact, because of all the activity, it took me Oh, gosh, I didn't know where the wires were to set up my equipment today. There's been a lot of moving around and stuff. It's a long story. And uh, it, it took me 20, 30 minutes just to get set up here because I couldn't find... Well, here's what I thought it was. I couldn't find a wire. But guess what? Uno mas tiempo. One more time. It turned out that... The on-off button on my uh, microphone was not turned on. That's all it was. I still need this wire that I'm trying to find, but I won't bore you with all that. And uh, and this had nothing to do with the dog this time. I don't know if you remember, but a few months back or whatever, the dog had turned had, had accidentally not not literally with her paw or anything like that, but she had knocked over some wires and it turned off the microphone and uh, uh, took me forever to figure it out. And I had to re-record some stuff, but this time at least i knew not going into it that um i i I didn't record something and then not have that at my fingertips afterwards so that's about it but anyway uh we are um uh, but but I but I oh so here's what I was gonna say I have not been able to touch the podcast when I say touch it I've not been able to uh, record an episode. I've not been able to do any editing. I've not been able to set up any uh, additional guests. I've not been able to do anything for about two and a half weeks now. And it's been killing me. And I am uh, so happy to be back here at the mic. All right. So today we have a good friend of the program, Mr. Alan B. from Boylestown, Pennsylvania. This here episode is called Honest Relationship with Reality. Now, Alan has been featured on the podcast in the past. In fact, it was episode number 293. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because the episode title was called I'm Okay Even If... Which was a very apropos title, a, a precursor to this episode, if you were, would. Uh, it's funny how life works sometimes. Neither of us knew what kind of, as you can call it, trauma that was about to unfold in Alan's life when we recorded that last episode. Uh, I already had him set up to record again. I asked him if he wanted to go ahead and record. It was his choice. Uh, he chose, to, he, he said, yes, let's just move ahead. And uh, I will let Alan describe that trauma uh, in his life, but suffice it to say, uh, he's been through a lot lately. And I will give you a warning on the beginning of this one. If you do not like to hear two grown men crying, uh, this is not the episode for you. Move on down the road to one of our other, what do we, I guess, 306 other episodes. Uh, we don't, uh, we, we discuss so much in this episode, I, I really don't know where to begin, but Developing an honest relationship 
with reality and what that looks like is kind of a, a touchstone of this episode. Alan talks about the three stages of recovery and what those are. He talks about the death of his father when he was young and how that relates to his current situation. Alan talks about the idea of self-reliance versus self-support. And I love the way he explains all this. He talks about the metaphor of the penguins and how they care for each other. Uh, He talks about how not to become a victim and live in victimhood. Uh, He talks about his, and this is the part that really got me. He talks about his kids and how they are navigating this period in their life along with Alan. Uh, This is the part, like I say, that got me choked up. Um, He talks about how Alan, how he is dealing with, uh, uh, quote, keeping his integrity, unquote, throughout this adversity. adversity. And I do remember one thing he said during the meeting. Uh, He says, excuse me, the meeting, the, the episode. He said something to the effect of, this is not happening to me. It's happening for me. And how he had to keep that particular mindset. And I can tell you that that is something that has, that I have used myself uh, many, many times over the past month or so in my life. Uh, and like I said, once again, Alan says, it's not happening to me, it's happening for me. And we talk about so much more. So, Without further ado, everybody, this is Alan B., and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy, Alan. Okay, everybody, so today we are sitting here again. When I say again, we've had this fine gentleman on the podcast one time before, and uh, in fact, I'm going to reference that in just a moment, but first of all, uh, why don't we have you, Alan, go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you would like, and tell people where you live as well. Okay. Well, my name is Alan Berger, and I'm coming up on my 52nd birthday, which will be August 1st of this year. So my sobriety date is August 1st, 1971. Wow. So that's uh, a few days ago, isn't it? It is a few days ago, my friend. <laughs> a few days ago. And God, I look back at what an amazing, an amazing journey and life it has been. And, you know, and it, it continues to be amazing. Um, we'll get into some of the stuff that's going on currently um, in my life. But, you know, I'm sitting here very grateful. And where do you live? You're in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania right now in a a farming community called Doylestown. I've just relocated here a couple of years ago. And you formerly, where where did you spend the bulk of your adult life? My life has been in Los Angeles. I'd say the last 50 years mostly has been in LA. Um, Most recently up in Westlake Village, just outside of Los Angeles. Okay, so um, the the reason I brought up the first time you were on, um, we we talked about really it kind of revolved around the subject of emotional sobriety, which you're an expert in. Uh, you've had a lot. You've written you've written books on it. You have websites, the whole nine yards, right? Yeah. 
And, and you've had a practice that uh, kind of uh, taught that, for, for lack of a better word. And the, the name of the episode was I'm Okay Even If, I, yes. dot, 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 I believe was the exact title, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So, and if I was a really good podcaster, I probably would have looked at the actual title. <laughs> but you're stuck with me today, Alan. No, listen, I, that stuck with you means that I'm stuck with another human being who's not perfect. That's and right. That, if anybody's listening, please pay attention to yes, that. Yes, yes. You know, we're good enough as we are. We don't have to be perfect. And, and, right. that, and it's great you could just say that. Yeah. So everybody can hear it. Um, and, and, you know, interesting from my perspective, you know, when I first started out this podcast years ago, I would go back and listen to every single second of the podcast and I would eliminate from both me and the guests and all that, the, the ums and the, you know, filler words and all that sort of stuff. And, and I still do that sometimes, but for the most part, I go with what I get because it's, it, it's real, but all right. So I want to go back to, so, so your podcast was called, so the title of the episode was called I'm okay, even if, and, um, after that was released, you sent me a message. Uh, we were kind of going back and forth. And you said, well, I'll let you go ahead and uh, tell the folks what you told me. Well, look, the, you know, let me first say something about the title of our first podcast. You know, I'm okay, even if that is the core concept of emotional sobriety, is emotional freedom is to be able to get to a place that regardless of what's going on in our life, that we can get to, I'm okay, even if things aren't turning out the way that I want them to, the way that I think they should, the way I expect them to. And in, and this becomes such an important part of my recovery and in the recovery of thousands and thousands of people that have read my books and are attended my workshops and attend this Thursday night workshop that I offer to the community. It's an open workshop. I'll send you the information and you can post it. They've found that that concept can really be a wonderful guidepost, if you will. A guiding light, we can even think of it as, in terms of what we have to strive for. So, you know, my life at the point that we had that other one, there, there was not a lot of, I need to get to okay, even if things were going, I, I was enjoying my life. Things were seemed to be going on an even keel. And, and, you know, as you have it, you know, life is on life's terms, which means I don't have control over certain things that go on. And out of the blue, my wife um, served me with divorce papers. And I was really knocked off balance. I mean, I went into a dark, dark place. Um, I'm better now. It's been, you know, about four months. That was in April. So it's what, April, May, June, July. So it's been four months since she declared that she wants to move on. She wants to get off what she called the merry-go-round that we've been on. Now, the initial thing to that was I was so, I was so despondent and so crushed, John. I mean, 
down to my to ev- to my soul. My soul was aching. I I think it would be the best way to describe it. I felt torn to pieces, and the reaction was so so strong. Um, in fact, the first night that I found out, I I was suicidal, man. I I didn't want to go on. You know, I'm 72 years old, and you know I'm heading towards the end of my life, and. There was this part of me that says, maybe it's just time to just, you know, stop all this pain and misery and move on. And then I rolled over and it just how happened that my five-year-old was laying next to me that night. And the miracle happened. I looked at her and I said, no way can I leave that legacy to this beautiful little girl. And so I rolled back over and said, okay, God, here we go. Please get a good hold of me because we're going to go on a hell of a ride because I'm in a lot of pain. I didn't understand all of it because I really, I mean, I was crushed, man. I was crushed. No, look, there's no question. I love this woman and we've been together for 20 years. We have two children together. I moved to Pennsylvania, left my practice in Los Angeles to support her career and stuff. And I last thing in the world I was expecting was for her to show up with divorce papers, right? That just was not on my radar in any way. So talk about being knocked off balance. Big part of emotional sobriety is trying to recover our balance. Well, this was, I was like hit by Mike Tyson. (laughs) I wasn't going to get up real fast. I mean, I was down for the count, man, and down for the count. But, you know, what I've experienced, and I think you probably experienced in this near recovery too, that when something hurts at that level, when there's that much pain, it's, it's, there's also in it, and it, it's hard to see in initially, an opportunity to start to get to work on, on some issues in my life that maybe were lurking in the shadows, um, it, it's been interesting. One of the things that I've been stimulated to do and, and inspired to do while I've been going through this is, is to, you know, start to read, right? I, I try to get more information, try to understand my experience. I, you know, increased the therapy I was doing, my personal therapy, started going to meetings more frequently, right, than before because I was, I'm in trouble, you know, and I want to, and I want to digest this in the best way I can, you know, pain is not optional in this situation. They say suffering is, but I'm doing a lot of pain and suffering. But what I'm hoping for and what's already started to happen is I'm already developing some emotional wisdom from this. And that's what I've seen happen many, many other times. That's to me the magic of our program is we can experience something that's devastating that just rocks us, drops us to our knees, and we can find a way to digest it and develop some wisdom from it. And that's what's been happening. So I want to share a little bit about some of those insights that have developed, right? Um, I was reading Ernie Larson's book, Destination Joy. I was looking for joy. Where, where is joy? I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't feeling any joy, brother. I was feeling a lot of pain. As you can tell, I'm still, that's still very raw. You know, it's still a very raw place for me right now. 
But one of the analogies that, that he gave, he says, you know, sometimes in our recovery, after stage one and stage two recovery, and I'll define what those are real quickly, stage one recovery is breaking the bonds of our addiction. It's no longer being driven by our obsession and our compulsion to drink and use, you know, whatever we were drinking or using before, right, as part of our addiction. So once that bond is broken, now we move into stage two recovery, which is learning how to live life on life's terms. Learning how to love is the way Ernie likes to describe it, how to have a healthy relationship. Well, there's a stage three recovery. And stage three recovery occurs, and this is the way he described it, and I love his writing because he uses these metaphors in such a great way. He says, in our life, we're going to go through experiences, especially in our childhood, that are traumatic. And those traumatic experiences are like being in a car accident that creates, that shatters your bone. And even though the bone heals, it leaves bone fragments inside your body. Now, sometimes those bone fragments will work themselves up to your skin in a couple years. Sometimes it's going to take decades before they do. But he says, one thing you're assured of, as soon as they tear your tender flesh, you're going to feel a pain that you have been avoiding your whole life. Hmm. What a great metaphor, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Those bone fragments. And what were the bone fragments in my life that were working their way up? What did that crisis that, that was induced by the divorced start me to take, you know, get me, invite me? I like to say that because it's an invitation. What did it invite me to take a look at? So here's what I discovered. And this was with the help of a, of a very good therapist that I started to talk about, or started to talk to, I should say, and to talk about this experience and pain I was going through. You know, he said, you know, Alan, what happened to you early in life is that when your father had cancer at 10, so my father at the age of 38 years old was diagnosed with myeloma. And when he was, back now, we're talking about 1962, there weren't many treatments for multiple myeloma. There were none that were effective. Maybe a couple that would maybe increase your life by a year or two, but there was nothing really available to help him at that point. Today, there's some cures on the horizon. Um, so when he got diagnosed with that, and, and finally we found out as a family, he was the rock of our family, John. He... I felt safe with him. As soon as he was diagnosed, that sense of safety started to crumble. It started to shatter. And I started to feel unsafe in this world. And the day he died, which was December 26th, early in the morning at the hospital he was at, the morning after that, my mom walked into the living room and I was standing in the living room. I'm 11 years old now. And she says, Alan, your daddy died last night at 2 a.m. She was in pain. You could, I could see her grief. It, tears were running down her eyes. She was so overcome with her grief, she turned and walked out of the room after she told me, John. 
And I am standing there at 11 years old, looking out at the corner of Argyle and Laverne in Chicago, Illinois, at that snow that gets covered with all the car exhaust that turns into this like soot, right? I mean, it's, it's an ugly gray looking snow. And all of a sudden, I could feel myself freezing inside. I shut down. I didn't want to feel the pain. I didn't want to feel that my life at that moment was turned upside down. Just like when Jess came in and told me I'm divorcing you. My life got turned upside down. She walked in and told me she's divorcing me and she walked away. My mom told me my dad died and she walked away. Now, here I am at 11, faced with my life. My security is gone. How am I going to survive this incredible trauma, this incredible experience of I am no longer safe in this world? Well, what I realized is I became self-reliant. The way that I survived is I was going to turn to myself because I couldn't count on anyone else. And from that point, it was all about Alan taking care of Alan, the hell with everybody else. I wasn't going to let anyone become that important to me. I wasn't going to let anything become that important to me. In fact, you know what he told me? Therapist, and I'm so grateful that he gave me this, this phrase. He says, your life from that moment on became a test of your invulnerability. A test of my invulnerability. I started drinking alcohol at 12 years old, and I drank recklessly like I was testing my invulnerability. At 12 years old, I'm having blackouts two or three times a week. My mom doesn't know what to do with me. Yeah, she'll throw me in the tub and wash me up after I've thrown up all over myself and and then berate me. Your father would be so disappointed with you. But you know what I was saying, obviously, is I'm in pain. I don't know how to deal with what's going on in my life. I have no idea how to show up in this world at this point. And to feel safe, I don't feel safe anymore. But I thought somehow by being invulnerable, I would create safety. I joined the Marine Corps at 17. Who joins the Marine Corps at 17? I went to the recruiting officer myself. There was no, my mother wasn't with me. I didn't talk to her about it. I volunteered for Vietnam at 18. When I was in Vietnam, I was reckless in terms of the missions I would volunteer for. I would take the point. I would be the guy going down the side of the hill because there's smoke coming out of the cave with the frags in my pocket so I could frag the cave to make sure that we weren't going to get our our throats slit that night by Viet Cong. That's who I was, reckless, because I was testing my invulnerability. In fact, you know what he said to me? He believes that alcoholism and other drug addictions are a disease of self-reliance, is that we turn to the alcohol and other drugs in order to to be more self-reliant. I'm going to use this to be free. I'm not what I needed. And this is what Ernie Larson, I love what he said. He says, we're looking for the right thing, but in the wrong place. We want freedom. We want love. But we turn to alcohol and other drugs for it, and that's we're not going to find it there. It doesn't work. 
So that's what started to get revealed to me in this crisis, realizing, oh my goodness, I have never felt safe. And part of my contribution to this relationship not working out was I didn't feel safe with my wife and I couldn't go to her and talk to her about it. I was going to be invulnerable and just handle it. There were many things that went on in our relationship. I don't want to go on into details because that would be, I think, you know, uh, violating her privacy and, and, and talking about things that are about her. But there were many things that happened that I didn't feel safe in that relationship. But I dealt with it the way I always did, didn't I? I just went back inside. I withdrew instead of trying to go to her and try to figure it out. And what, you know, what she experienced was that I abandoned her. And I was doing it far from abandoning her. I was just scared and I didn't know how to deal with the fact I didn't feel safe. So what a mess that created for me. And it's created a mess my whole life. Look, it's also done some amazing things. My, my, you know, by self-reliance, I got my, I'm a high school dropout. I went back to school. I got myself through school. I worked and got myself through school. I had no financial assistance except a GI bill, $360 a month for the first five years of my education. For the rest of, of my education, I worked part-time through my whole PhD. You know, so my self-reliance helped there. I worked hard at school. I worked hard at trying to make up for all the years that I didn't have an education in high school. You know, go ahead and, and, and taking a step towards writing books and publishing, you know, with Hazleton, some very successful books and currently my recent one with 4D Publishing. They're helping hundreds, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have read my stuff. I mean, so I'm not saying that this self-reliance is just cut in one way. It hasn't. Like anything, any adaptation that we had in our life to deal with the pain early on is going to have positives in it. That's what Bill asked us to take a look at in step six. Right? We're entirely ready to have these defects of character removed. He said some of these defects of character actually work for us. Right? They have a benefit. Right, they are doing something for us. So it's far from far from bad. But what I'm getting to, and this is moving my emotional sobriety to a whole new level, is to to understand the difference between self-support versus self-reliance. Self-support versus self-reliance. I'm beginning to know a little bit about that, and I pray to God I can learn more because I need to learn how to support myself better. I need to figure this out, right, at this life, because I, I still have a lot of passion. I love recovery. I love my life. You know, I love my children. I have a lot of compassion for my ex, you know, to be here. The divorce is almost finalized at this particular point in time. You know, I wish her well in life, you know, but I'm still very, very wounded, and uh, there's a lot of pain here for me. But that's what I'm trying to learn about. That's where this journey is taking me into trying to understand. Now, the difference in, in some of the general ways are, that I'm understanding it is my self-reliance was exclusive. I pushed you away. It was all about me, right? There was no you or us in it. Self-support is inclusive. 
It's where I open myself up and become vulnerable and let you into my life and let you be a part of my life. And where I can turn to you and even like in being open about this podcast and talking about the pain and stuff. You know, I've been doing that now and, you know, in the other areas I'm showing up in, in social media. The outpouring of love has been so, so touching. It's meant the world to me. I don't feel so alone in what I'm going through. People keep reaching out and says, God, you've done so much for so many. Let us help you now. Let us hold you. Let us support you. So this one fellow that I, I, I've grown pretty close to, his name is Howard. He said, have you ever been told about how penguins function, Alan? I said, no, no, what? no. Tell me about it. He says, well, when penguins are up in the Antarctic and they're cold, is what they do is they huddle into a big group. And the ones in the middle get warm. And when they're warm, they go to the outside. So the ones that are on the outside can come in and get warm. And they keep folding themselves like this. He says, it's time for you to come into the middle. Time for you for you to let us warm you up and take care of you. One other thing that someone said to me, and my good friend Tom Rutledge said this, who I do my podcast with and who's part of the Thursday night emotional sobriety workshop. You know, when I first heard this and you heard how despondent I felt and I just could not see much of a future and wasn't at all optimistic about anything at that point. He says, you know, Alan, I want you to think of what you're going through like this in this way. And this also meant a lot to me. He says, you're walking down a corridor that's black. It's pitch black. You can't even see your hand in front of you. He says, but in front of you, and I don't know how far it is in front of you, there's a sharp right turn, a 90 degree right turn. I'm down that corridor where the light is. You can't see the light because it's so far away from you. But I want you to walk towards my voice. Keep walking towards my voice. I'll tell you, man, when he said that, I needed to hear it. I really needed to hear it because I didn't have any hope. And he gave me some hope with that. And I've been walking towards his voice. I've been walking towards your voice. I've been walking towards the voice of God. I've been walking towards whatever voices I can find, right, to try to lead me through this. So I'm trying to get to I'm okay even if. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm on my way. I'm not there. But I do believe, you know, when we talk six months from now, We'll have a different conversation. I, I'm hoping at least. Maybe it'll be a year. I, I don't know what God's time frame is for me on this. But I knew, do know something as important is happening in my life. So um, as I found out about um, the divorce um, moving forward, you know, I, I sent you a message and say, listen, we don't we don't have to do this. You know, this is, it's only you, but, uh, it's your choice. Uh, as you know, you wanted to do it. And, uh, I was more than happy to provide this platform. And so here is my, what I'm thinking though, is that when people go through different sort of, uh, traumatic sort of situations, you have 10 different people can handle it 10 different ways. Right. Yeah. And there are going, and, but I, I think that uh, what 
what I've learned through Alcoholics Anonymous basically is that it's best not to hold it inside. And I got a feeling that there's a lot of people listening to this episode today. They've been through some things, whatever it is, right? And they're they're holding it inside. And so I guess now you're more of an extrovert, right? There's going to be people who are less, you know, they're, they're more of an introvert. But talk about your thought process around being able to share those yeah. experiences in the healthy way to do that. Well, I, I first of all, I think that right now, you know, with all the work I've done, I'm so opened up, right, and vulnerable. And in and not sharing my pain, it doesn't feel to be even an option right now, to tell you the truth. It's just part of my experience. And I think that that's been the gift of recovery, is of being alive again and being able to feel joy like I've never felt joy before. But also what comes with that, you, if, if you're going to be f- feeling fully, you don't get to choose. <laughs> when pain comes into my life, I feel that fully. Look, there's times I wish I had some defense around this stuff and I didn't have to feel it to the depth. But I don't have that choice right now. The choice I have is to, is to flow with it. And every time I cry, I feel better. Every time I find the words, like right now, I was anxious when we were starting. I knew some of this pain was going to surface when we talked and I was resisting it. But at this point in time, I'm feeling a serenity in being here with you. I'm feeling a connection in being here with you. And that means the world to me right now. So for me, it's, it's being able to have faith that if I flow with, with the experience I'm having, that it'll take me into a good place. I can't tell you how many of my clients I've had that when they start to feel sadness, they go, I, I can't go there. I'm quick. I go there. And I'll say, what's, what's, what's happening? Tell me what your experience. I'm afraid if I start crying, I'll never stop. Hmm. I'm afraid that there won't be an end to it. And that's the fear, right? That if I open up this pain, that I'm going to be so stuck in it, that I'm not going to be able to find a way out. Now, what I say to them is I'm right here with you and I will be with you and sit with you as long as we need to sit with you. I have to cancel the next patient. I will that we're going to stay with this because I want you to have an experience that I've never met anybody whose pain is bottomless. You'll have an experience of it now. And as it opens up, you'll have it again and you'll be able to, but this is God's way of us healing is crying. Our tears are a way how we integrate painful experience. And so if when we resist it, we're resisting our growth. When we resist it, we're resisting our healing. So I know, look, you know, like, you know, three months ago, four months ago, when I, I couldn't have done this radio show, I would have cried the whole time. You, you, would, have been, you would have been just handing me Kleenex for an hour, <laughs> and I wouldn't have been able to say anything. You would have had to talk the whole time. Now, today, I can talk. I've still, many times, I've, I've cried with you, and, and I've shared the pain that I'm having with this experience I'm having. But So that's one thing. This, the second thing that came to my mind when you're saying is, is that, well, what can people, what can they do? Well, to, if, if they have a situation that they're going through in their life, 
Look, part of maturity is an honest relationship with reality. Let me say that again. Part of maturity in developing self-esteem in our life is using our consciousness to develop an honest relationship with reality. My honest relationship with reality is, is that I am not a victim of my life. Now, this happened to me, but as my sponsor Tom said, Alan, no, it happened for you. You've got to make it a happen for you, not a to you. <laughs> and this is the gift we got, that we can take any experience we have, even if we are victims. I did not choose the divorce. I am powerless over her choice. This is what she wants, not what I want. But I am going to deal with it in the best way I can, and I'm going to turn it into it's happening for me, not to me. As you can see, I'm already extracting and extricating as much as I can learn from this experience. That's how I don't become a victim. So I would urge you, if you're going through something horrible and terrible, try to find a way to empower yourself in, in claiming the experience in a way that's going to grow you. Sometimes that's the only thing we can do. I am powerless over Jess's decision, but I have a lot to do with what, how I'm going to deal with it and how I'm going to respond to it. You look like you've lost a little weight. Am I right? Oh my goodness. 40 pounds. Oh, gosh. I can't eat. I've got no appetite. I'm forcing myself. Well, a good friend of mine made some of the best meatballs I've ever had in my life yesterday. It's this, this gal I play tennis with, Cheryl. She's just a love. But that's what's happening. People are cooking me food, saying, we can't have you waste away. You know, <laughs> we need you around. So I'm hoping that as my depression lifts that, because um, I'm depressed quite depressed. As my depression lifts, my appetite will come back. I'm also interested in your children and how they are. I mean, you know, you talked about sleeping next oh. to your daughter. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to open up too big of a... No, but, but listen, that's the... Right now, the sadness that they're having is... Um, is even more painful for me than, than my loss is seeing that, that their innocence has really been, you know, um, compromised at this point in time in their life. And it's, it's, it's very traumatic for both of them. I have a 10 year old and a five year old. My 10 year old was laying in bed with me the other night, just looked at me and crying. And she says, dad, um, this is so tough. And thank God she could say that to me, right? This is so tough. And she goes, I'm so embarrassed. None of my friends are going through this. What does this mean about our family? So we could talk about that. And, and then she said something, and you know, that every kid feels, and I'm so glad she could say it to me. I feel like if I was a better kid, you guys wouldn't have gotten divorced. <sighs> and, you know, I got to talk to her about it. It has nothing to do with you, honey. This is what's going on with dad and I. But then the thing that hurt me the most he said, Dad, I feel so ugly. I feel so ugly. And I just sat there with her and I said, oh, God, that's a horrible feeling. But I'm I wanted you to tell I want to tell you how I feel about you. And and I started to 
I started by touching her nose. I says, you know, honey, I think your nose is perfect. I touched her eyebrows. Your eyebrows are perfect. Your little eyes are perfect. Your soul is perfect. For 20 minutes, I told her how perfect she was. She melted, John. She just melted in my arms. She was so relaxed and so relieved at the end of it. So look, one of the things talk about an opportunity of greater intimacy through this pain. Oh my God, we were never connected like that at that level. And, and it's been powerful. My little five-year-old, she's right in the midst of it. She says, you know, I think you're both better when you're together. <laughs> think of that. The five-year-old, you guys are better when you're together. She goes, dad, I'm so sad. I'm just so sad. And can can you tell mom, because she's having a hard time listening to me when I say that to her. I just feel so sad. So that's what, that's the part that's really raw. Very, very painful right now, John. That's the part that I struggle the most with. God bless those little girls. Please, God, help, help us get through that. I was doing okay holding back uh, my uh, emotion until... We began talking about that. It's tough, man. It's really tough. I know, Alan. <laughs> I love them so much. I got to And look, it just totally dovetailed, doesn't it, with my experience in childhood because I, I want them to feel safe, and they don't right now. That safety has been breached. But I asked them the other day, is, do you feel safe with me? And they said, it both says yes. And I go, I want you to feel safe with me. I want you to feel that you could talk to me about anything. I think it's hard for their mom. She's feeling a lot of pain over what she's done to the family and, and, and some whatever other stuff is going on. She's not very open about that stuff with me. So she's not as accessible for them right now, but I am. And I thank God for that. That's another gift of my recovery, right? is to be able to be there for them and be the best dad that I can be for them at this point. Okay, so let's try to wind this one down. All right, yeah. you have a lot of me. We, <laughs> I want to see how, whatever, how you pull that rabbit out of your hat. So I, I don't even... I, I want, I don't, wrapping a bow on this doesn't sound right in this particular scenario. It, it, it's it, right. There's no way. <laughs> How do you do that? Right. Right. Um, so I'm thinking about the listener out there once again, who may be going through something that's similar. Um, and this is real life. Not only is it happening to you, it's happened to a lot of people. Things like this have happened to me in the past, right? But not everyone is as vulnerable and or articulate about it. And that's what I appreciate about you. Um, and I'm going to talk to you when we get off the air about various uh, 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 titles that we can come up with for this one. But is there anything else that you want to say before we uh, wrap this one up? Well, I, I think the message I want to give, even though you've heard my despair and pain and, and how torn to pieces I am in some way, I still believe 
that life is good. I still believe that walking through this, I have faith right now. And sometimes that's all I can call it. It's not even trust. Sometimes it's just faith because I can't get a hold of something. But I have faith that if I stay pressed up against this experience, that it will be something that is happening for me, not to me. And I also believe that by sharing this with others, that I help them feel that they're not alone, that we're in this together, that any of us can suffer this stuff. And it's not about life being a certain way for us to be okay, but it's about us having, and I love that phrase I used, an honest relationship to reality. It's about us having an honest relationship with reality and deal with whatever it means for us at this point in time. So it's going to mean for me is building a life at 72, being having half custody of my children, and living in Pennsylvania, which I would not have chosen to do, right? I would stay, I would have been back in LA and being here and finding a way to walk through this and, and keeping my integrity intact through this whole thing. The one thing that I feel good about, and I've only slipped maybe once or twice in the beginning when the pain was so bad, is I have not put her down or beat her up about her decision. I have not dumped any anger on her and added to her pain and suffering. So I feel good about that. You know, I am learning to act for myself without impinging on the rights of others. That's what emotional sobriety is about, John, is to act for myself without impinging on the rights of others. And I hope I'm doing that. And I think, I believe I am, I'm asking for feedback. And so far the feedback I'm getting from the people close to me is that I am, but that's my goal here is, you know, it's, it's, I, I have, I'm powerless over what's happening to me, but I have a lot of influence with a lot of help from a lot of people about how to, I deal with this and to be able to deal with it with integrity and with grace and compassion and love. Well said, Alan. I'm going to read from page 164 from the big book to wrap us up. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Alan B., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Alan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, John. Alan, once again, thank you so much for your time and your vulnerability. I am quite sure that the listeners are going to benefit greatly from that episode. God bless you, my friend. Keep me posted. I'm sure we will be uh, in touch very soon. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me or Alan, uh, just uh, send me an email to john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and uh, we will possibly get you on listener feedback. Remember now, we don't want you sharing your gossip. 
or your toothbrush. But we would love for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Just take some time to pause that device that you're on. Hit that share button and uh, get it on over to a friend or family member. Thank you so much. Now on to a little bit of a listener feedback. So the first piece of listener feedback that I have here is from a friend of the program. His name is Mike. And and the subject line here is sober speak snail mail. (laughs) And so uh, I'm going to read what he wrote and then I'll give an an address as well. He says, uh, hi, John, I just wanted to reach out and give a shout out to our first people to write in via the P.O. box that you provided. Uh, So to David S. in Tempe, Arizona, Rocco K. in Tampa, Florida. I wish I had a name like Rocco. That is such a cool name. Anyway, and then everybody else has a cool name too, but you know, Rocco is just like up there, right? It's at the next level. And then he says, and the third one is, and Andrew G. in Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. And Mike says, thanks for your letters. They've written Mike, and he says, in closing, Andrew wants you to know the correct pronunciation is, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I've gotten this from a few of my friends, including my friend Casey uh, uh, and my friend um, (laughs) Curry, apparently the word H-E-C-O is not pronounced hecko. <laughs> it looks like it is pronounced echo in Tejas, not hecko in Tejas. Thank, thank you, Andrew. I, press it. I appreciate it. And also, Rocco is looking to build friendships of like-minded people who want to stay sober, unquote. If anyone would like to contact Rocco Email me for his info. And so, oh gosh, what's the best way to do it? I, th- I think we're talking about going back through Mike. So just email me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and I will get you on over to Mike, who is writing this. And he says, and Mike says, and finally, I've made a new friend in David. I thought it was pretty cool that he wrote in because he lives right down the street from the P.O. Box. That's fantastic. Until next time, in the snail mail department of Sober Speak, <laughs> peace and blessings, Mike. So, for those of you who may have missed it, uh, like I said, Mike is a listener of the program. Uh, he wrote in to me at one point, and he said that there are those out there who either don't have access to email or they maybe they just like writing letters. And he said I, he would be willing to monitor a a uh, 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 P.O. box out there in Tempe, Arizona for those who want to write in. And the address again here is Sober Speak, 1962 East Apache 
Boulevard. That's Apache, A-P-A-C-H-E, Boulevard, P.O. Box 7925. That's Tempe, Arizona, T-E-M-P-E, Arizona, 85281. If you want to write in, and uh, Mike has been corresponding back and forth, and I really appreciate his service. Thank you so much, Mike. And thank you also to David and Rocco and Andrew for uh, writing in. Good to hear from you all. Mike writes in, Mike, this is not the same Mike, it's another Mike, Mike S. And Mike S says, John, Mike S here, I listen to your uh, podcast a lot and I enjoy it. Please remember, most of your material comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. As an active member for 39 years, I have a responsibility to comment. I do hear your guests talk about sponsors, but do not hear your guests talk about donating to AA to keep it alive uh, or all the other jobs like district chair and so on. As I donate to AA and I have donated to you, I am responsible to remind you to tell people to be responsible to AA. Thanks and keep up the good work. Mike in Maine P.S. A few gay speakers would be nice. Okay, so there's a couple pieces to that. Uh, let's talk about the. Uh, let me just talk about that last part first. I we've had many gay speakers. Some identify themselves as gay. Some do not. Uh, and it's not a, a anyway. We have several episodes, but I don't put like a listing like this is a gay speaker. I, I've never done that. Uh, Maybe I should, but I've had this request a few times, but I just, so you know, we have had gay speakers. If, Mike, if you want to uh, just write me again, John, J-O-H-N at SilverSpeak.com, and I'll, I'll give you a, a list of, of the few that actually talk about it on the episode themselves. Uh, in fact, the most recent one would be Mr. Doug S. Uh, you could co- go back and listen to his. Oh, let me see here. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Where is it? Oh, Doug S. On episode number 297, Sobriety Date Bingo. You can go back and listen to that. And I know there's some others as well. But anyway, now go back to the, 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 the contributions and the donations piece. And I have said this many times in the past. I don't know if I've said it recently, but I am in complete agreement with you, Mike. So there is a way, if you just go to aa.org, you can actually donate directly to them. And I highly encourage people to do that. And I have said on my silly little podcast here before is that if you are out there in the Netherlands and you have the choice between donating, uh, contributing to my podcast, podcasts and donating to your local groups so they can uh, support the uh, area and all the other things that they do. I 100% would love you to contribute to your local groups because that is where the real recovery is taking place. And it doesn't mean that people can't benefit from listening to this podcast and other podcasts for, for, for that matter. But I would much rather you, if you have the choice, uh, I would much rather you donate to your local group every time, 100%. Okay. So uh, thank you for writing in, Mike. I appreciate you sharing that and uh, keeping us all 
uh, and, uh, straightened out. No, not straightened out. Keeping us all in line. Thank you very much. Angela writes in, and Angela says, Hello, John. Angela here from Melbourne, Australia. Well, hello, mate. Or what do you, is it a mate at if you're a, a, a woman? Uh, what, what do you call? Oh, no, wait a second. It's, it's the, the Sheila's. What is it? The Sheila's and the, uh, is it not, not Sheila's and mate, but anyway, I think they're called, I think women. I, I don't, I don't think it's like, for example, when I go to Outback, <laughs> restaurant to eat here in the United States. They have a big sign on the door that says, oh, one for the men. And I can't remember what it is right now. Uh, Maybe it's mates. I don't know. And then the other one is Sheila's, right? I'm assuming the Sheila's is for, well, I've never been inside the Sheila's one, but I am just assuming that that means females. But anyway, I, I hope I'm not being offensive to anyone in any way. Uh, I don't think I am, but nonetheless. Hello, mate or mate at. She says, I just want to thank you for your incredible service. Well, thank you, Angela. You may be <laughs> sorry now that you wrote in. Your podcasts are fantastic, and I've listened to them all, some of them many times. I just received my five-year chip this week, and I am beyond grateful. Congratulations, Angela. Five years. Five full years. Nights and weekends included. And that's, in, that's incredible. They say, when they say it gets better, I totally agree. I have told many people about your podcast. Your sense of humor <laughs> always makes me smile. <laughs> I hope that's still the case. Thank you for everything, Angela XX. Well, XXOO back at you, Angela. Appreciate you writing in. And once again, congrats on those five years. And give everybody over there in Australia my best. I mean, you know, yeah, I guess you don't know everyone in Australia, but you know what I'm saying. Cameron writes in and Cameron says, oh, the subject line is advice. It says, John, I listen to your podcast all the time. Uh, I've been sober for almost a year. I am working a great program, but recently I've had an issue that has begun to dig at me a lot. It's really hard to get close to people in the program because if, when they fail, it's hard to mentally process all of it happening. My hero, if you will, hit ground zero recently and has been weighing on me. What advice do you have for me? I appreciate any experience you'd have to share with me. Feel free to mention this on the podcast in case anyone else is dealing with the same issue. Much love from Minnesota. Sincerely, Cameron W. All right, Cameron Wells, I don't know if I'm going to give advice. I can share experience, strength, and hope. I, I've been, oh gosh, if you're around for, uh, I, I know you say you've been sober for almost a year. Um, I've been sober a little while longer than that. And I can guarantee you that anyone who's been sober and active in the program for an extended period of time will see that they run across that on a consistent basis. I don't know if I have advice, uh, but if anybody else wants to uh, write in to John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com, give Cameron some words of advice. I will uh, send that on to him. Uh, And another way you can 
Uh, give feedback also, Cameron, is if you go into, uh, I can't remember if you're in the super secret Facebook group, but if you're in there, uh, go ahead and post something like that. You'll probably get more feedback than you were looking for. I, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of people who will comment on that stuff, but uh, uh, hang in there, brother. Uh, I'm glad that you are sober and much love back at you from me and the sword. Ken writes in, and this is Ken L., and he says, uh, I had been looking for a long time, and I was delighted to find your sessions with Lori G. I had seen her live a few years ago. It was a three-day conference, and Cliff spoke on the first night, Lori on the second a day and the two of them together on the third. That sounds like fun. He says, I am a sponsor in Al-Anon and I use her, their story as a source of inspiration, especially for women Al-Anons. I also enjoyed your sessions with Chris S., who reminded me in passing about the renowned speaker, Joe Hawk. I am listening to Joe Hawk's Salvation Tapes right now. If you... If you have or can find more, please put them out there. Yeah, I think I've put out about four or five of his dozen or so uh, Salvation Army talks right now, and and I plan on releasing them kind of intermittently, um, but I, I definitely will put some more out there. And he says, as one of your listeners mentioned, the interview style is very unique and takes some time getting used to, but... I find the interactive nature of the result very creative and pleasing. I also have a question. In one of your podcasts, you mention a person or persons who sponsor the incarcerated. Oh, yes, that's right. Here's Ken. Yeah. My, 20 year, my 22-year-old daughter is in jail in Florida, but has access to email and video-based visitation. She has been reading the big book and attending meetings behind bars, but really needs a sponsor to kickstart her recovery. Is there someone or some group that you can point me to, either NAA or NA, who might be willing to sponsor under these circumstances. And as you know, Ken, I got you in touch with uh, Hannah, who is one of our listeners who is uh, has very graciously agreed to uh, sponsor or communicate, just be a contact for uh, those who are incarcerated that are a woman. And uh, we got you two in contact. I hope all that is going well. Just uh, kind of keep me posted there. Thanks for writing in, Ken. And thanks for all your nice words. Tracy writes in and she says, hi, John, can you add me to the super, to the private Facebook group, please? She didn't say super secret. I just put that in there. I'm really enjoying listening to your podcast. It's helping me in my own recovery, although I am struggling at the moment. It's a welcome companion to my daily dog walks. Many thanks, Tracy. Well, as you know, Tracy, I responded to you. Uh, You got in the super secret Facebook group. And there's a couple of reasons I read that. Number one is to say, give my best to your dog as you are walking around the neighborhood, the neighborhood, please. And also to others out there who may be wondering, what is this, that Facebook group that Tracy talks about? Well, if you go to our website, 
No, no, no. Don't go to... Well, you can actually get there from there, but this is the easy way, the most efficient way. And I'm all about efficiency, you know. So you want to go to your Facebook application. You search for the Sober Speak secret group. Ask for admission into the group, and we will get you on in there. Um, and, and so another reason that I bring this up is that, uh, I'm sorry, you know, something just walked by my window. I'm looking out the window and, uh, it just, it, it took my concentration away, but you know, I'd like to have an open window, but like if somebody walks by, I don't know, maybe I should close it next time. I don't, this is really a quandary. Nonetheless, um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to read it to say hi to your dog and then also to tell people how they, oh, here's the other thing I wanted to say is that we actually have, so I think this is probably confusing, but everyone seems to find us. So maybe it's not, I'm not really sure. We actually have a sober speak page. I think they call it a business page or something. I'm not really a Facebook expert, but the sober speak secret group is where all the action has taken place. All right, so make sure you find that. All right, that was a little uh, too much, but thank you so much, Tracy, for writing in. Bob writes in, and Bob says, John, Bob W. here from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I am one of those 50 years plus members of AA who listen to your podcast on a fairly regular basis. I have been doing so since last fall. I like the guests that you select and your interview style and walking them through what they have to say. In particular, I like listening to David G from your local Frisco group uh, this morning. He sounds like he has a solid program and a clear way of explaining things. Listening to all your friends from the Frisco group makes me want to pack up and move to Texas and be part of that group. Well, come on down, Bob. We got a seat for you. He says, I will be in the Dallas area next June. As the International Delegates Reunion is being held in Dallas next June, a few days before the Texas State Convention. And I have been going to that every year since 2002. The only other podcast that I listen to is the AA Grapevine podcast with Don and Sam. I do that because I like to support the AA Grapevine. You are the meeting between meetings and they are out. And they are our meeting in print. Very complimentary. Thank you for the service. And I, and I, in yours and love and service, Bob W. Well, Bob W., when, you, when you're when you down here next summer, give us a yell. And uh, we would love for you to come out to our meeting. We'd love for anybody to come out and uh, visit us in this area. Appreciate it. And finally, for today, at least for this here episode, Barry writes in and Barry says, greetings from across the pond. Barry is in London. He says, hi, John. I hope this Find, I hope this email finds you well, my friends. Best wishes to you and Mrs. M and 
the children also. I understand it's been very hot in Texas. The weather is so extreme this day. Yes, as I'm recording this, it is 109 outside. And he says, London has been extremely wet and windy as of late. It feels like autumn. You know, I actually enjoy that kind of weather better than I do the, the heat. I really do. He said, I, Barry's talking again, I celebrated four years of sobriety last week. Barry, Barry, you are the man Four years, I am so, so excited for you. He says, it felt very special, and I'm truly grateful for reaching this stage in my recovery. Thank you for being there a few years ago when I reached out to you via email. You were kind enough to join me on a Zoom call and offer your support. I'm truly thankful for AA, and I am excited about the future one day at a time. Barry, God bless you, my friend, my friend from London across the pond. I'm really, really happy for you. All right, everybody, that right there is another ep of the pod in the books. Um, Hopefully, I will be back next week. We, as you know, always take this one week at a time. May God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Have a great week. Love you guys.